Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Turn with me, please, to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3. Um, I shared this word with our staff at the beginning of the year. I talked about it in several leadership environments and felt like that this would be important on a free week. I'm not tied to a series. Um, This is an open Sunday. I wanted to bring this word to bless you. I felt like this was a word for our church. I know next Sunday we'll kick off a series called Friend of Sinners. Uh, which I'm super excited about. That will be the series that leads us up to Easter. And so I really believe that God has a, a harvest of souls in front of HPC. Amen. Judges chapter three, Judges chapter three. Let me give you some context of the book of Judges. Uh, Many of you are familiar uh, somewhat with the journey of Israel and how God used Moses after 400 years of being slaves in Egypt. God used Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery. And for 40 years, they wandered in the promised land. Uh, Moses died and his successor was named Joshua. Joshua took them from the wilderness into the promised land. And so, you know, from Egypt to the wilderness and wilderness to the promised land, they had great leadership. But the period of the judges is just the opposite. There was no leadership in Israel. It was a very dark time in the history of God's people. The time of the judges was the time in between the theocracy and the monarchy. The theocracy is where God led the nation of Israel. The monarchy was at the time of King Saul, King David, and and Solomon, and Rehoboam. That in-between period of 400 years is the period of the judges. And it was a repetitive cycle of sin. The people continued to make poor choices. They got away from the things of the Lord. How many of you know that when you don't have strong leadership, then you open the door to all kinds of craziness? And if there's one verse that summarizes this period probably better than most, it is in the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6. The Bible says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Does that not sound like the day and age that we're living in? Every man doing what's right in their own eyes, just kind of making it up as we go. Well, I've got my truth and you've got your truth. Oh, time out. How many know that all truth is God's truth? And that this sets the standard for our relationship with the Lord, for our relationship with each other, and our behavior, our conduct. And in the absence of that leadership, there was this cycle of sin for 400 years. Now, Israel had plenty of enemies, as they do today. Thousands of years ago, one of their arch rivals were the Philistines. And during this period of chaos, the Philistines took advantage of their lack of leadership. And so they began to oppress the Israelites. And in the midst of that season of darkness, in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, there's a single verse. I want to teach you from this one verse 20 words packed in this single verse to give the nation of Israel and us a glimmer of hope in these dark days. The Bible says, verse 31, after Ehud came Shamgar. Somebody say Shamgar. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines 
with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. That verse, and I've read the Bible every year from cover to cover, probably for the last 15 years, but I never really saw it until this year. Shamgar. Shamgar is one of six minor judges. Many of us are familiar with some of the major judges. We know Gideon. We've heard of Gideon. We know of Samson. But how many of you have never heard of Shamgar? Yeah, he's easy to kind of overlook. There's only one verse in the Bible that describes who he is to us, and it's Judges 3, 31. He was a minor judge, but God did a major work through him. You know what that tells me? You don't have to be a big deal for God to do a big deal through you. You don't have to be a household name. Oh, come on, somebody. And I know in modern Christianity, sometimes our culture celebrates and idolizes personalities. You know, we, we make celebrities out of men and women, and we should not. In the kingdom of God, there's only one celebrity. His name is Jesus. Can you help me today? And for those who are trying to make a big name for themselves, I would just suggest this. I think you're missing it. It's not about you. And it's not about me. This church is not about my personality. This church is based on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the foundation. He is the bedrock. You can do a big work and you don't have to have a big name. Uh, we're in it to make Jesus famous. And if Jesus is famous, then we're okay to be anonymous. Come on, talk to me. Shamgar, we, we don't know much about him except this single verse. The Bible says that God used Shamgar to defeat 600 Philistines with an ox goad. An ox goad. You ever heard of an ox goad? This is an ox goad. Now, I know last Sunday we threw bread rolls. <laughs> We're not throwing anything today. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Pastor. An ox goad was a stick probably six to eight feet in length. An ox goad was not a weapon of war, but it was a tool for farming. This is interesting. At one end of the ox goad was a hook, and the farmer would use this hook to prod cattle. When the cattle wouldn't move like they should, when they got stuck, the farmer would take the ox goat and the hook side of that goat, and it would kind of stimulate the cattle and poke the cattle and prod them, say, get going. Come on, parents. How many of you wish you had an ox goat for your kids from time to time? <laughs> Come on, get moving. Get up out of bed. Time to get to school. Let's go. On one side of the ox goat was a hook. On the other side was this spade, shovel-type feature, and, the, and the, the, the farmer would, with this side, he would use it to break up the fallow ground, and sometimes he would use it to clean the plow in which he was plowing the field. You see, today's lesson, I think, that this is simple, but it's practical. It's powerful. I want to talk to you about Shamgar, from farmer to fighter, from farmer to to fighter. Now, if you're walking through a season of difficulty, this message is for you. If you feel stuck, maybe there's a situation, a challenge that you're working through and you can't find traction to move forward, this message is for you. If you have a dream in your heart, you feel a sense of destiny, there's a passion, a fire, a desire in you, this message is for you. Wherever you find yourself today, turn to your neighbor and say, this message is for you.
Now, because history makers are note takers, I want you to write this down. Here, here's the first lesson, and this is powerful. I think Shamgar teaches us, this insignificant Old Testament judge teaches us something today. You got to start where you are. You got to start right where you are. Uh, listen, Shamgar wasn't, he didn't start out being a hero. He started out being a farmer. Are you with me? Now, now we read about his exploits, been 600 Philistines with an ox goat, but where did he get his start? He was working in the field. You don't have to wait for things to get better before you get started. Can I tell you this? Wherever you find yourself, you can make a difference right where you are. Sometimes we feel like there's so much against us, and if we just had this opportunity or this resource or this open door. Shamgar teaches us that in faithfulness to the field, you can have an opportunity to make a difference in the world. It's okay if where you are isn't where you want to be. Some of you find yourself in a place right now. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in a, a season in your family. Um, maybe it's in a relationship, and you just don't like where you are. It's okay. You don't have to like where you are, but you got to start where you are. If you wait for things to get better, you'll never get started. I can remember about my sophomore, junior year in college. Uh, I went to school on a basketball scholarship, and so sports was, it was the only thing that I knew. Um, I was studying computer science, and I was about to get my degree in computer science. I was leading a Bible study, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Some of the guys on the basketball team every Tuesday would come, and, and, and I found myself in this Bible study. There was an awakening taking place in my soul. And so I knew I wouldn't play basketball for the rest of my life. And computer science was just a platform to, well, I didn't know what I was going to do. Might as well try to, while I'm figuring it out, get rich and make a lot of money. But my heart wasn't in it. So I called the only pastor that I trusted at the time. And that was my youth pastor, Pastor Dino Rizzo, the founding pastor of this church. I said, Dino, look, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I've never been to Bible college. I don't have any training, but I feel the Lord stirring something in me for ministry. And Dino said, great. Next time you're in town, come see me. So I got a weekend off. Coach gave us the weekend off free from practice. I called Dino. I said, I'm coming in this weekend. He said, fantastic. 7 a.m., meet me at my house. And I'm like, wow, Pastor Dino recognizes the gift of God in my life. Man, maybe he wants me to maybe preach this Sunday or man, maybe lead a Sunday school class or maybe I help him with his sermon or maybe he's got a microphone that he wants. Obviously, he recognizes the man of God in the making. 7 a.m. Saturday morning, I show up at Dino's house and I'm knocking on the door. Knocking, knocking. Knock. I'm like, is anybody? He forgot about me. Finally, he opens the door. His hair was everywhere. You could tell I just woke him up. Uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, there's my lawnmower. There's my weed eater. When you finish cutting the grass, let me know. And he shuts the door. I said, wait a second. That's not the plan that I had for myself. Uh, uh, th th there's something more in me than just cutting grass. Some of you feel like you have an assignment right now that is below you. 
Because the dream inside of you is greater than what's in front of you. But you've got to start right where you are. You say, well, pastor, I only do what I love to do. Listen, you need to pray, Lord, help me to love what I'm doing. God has you at that job, at that plant, in that classroom, in that neighborhood, in that family. You're there for a reason, for a season, and for a soul. And you've got you've to embrace where you are before you can take that next step of where God wants to take you. A couple years ago, I had a young man come up to me after service. and Man, super excited. He said, Pastor, he said, I want to do what you do. I said, fantastic. That's great. I mean, I was genuinely excited. He said, I want to stand on a big old stage and hold a microphone and preach to thousands just like you do. And I thought, okay, I know you want to do what I do, but are you willing to do what I did? A lot of people want to do the do, but they don't want to do the did. Are you with me? He didn't see that before there was a microphone, there was a lawnmower. Come on, talk to me. I didn't hold a microphone, I held a weed eater. My first job here at HPC was landscaping. Come on, somebody. Man, that, you, you got to start where you are. Everybody wants to do the do, but nobody wants to do the did. And if you're more committed to doing the do and unwilling to do the did, then you're going to find yourself in do-do. <laughs> Turn your neighbor and say, he ain't right. He ain't right. Start where you are. You say, Mike, I don't like where I am. Listen, embrace where you are. Embrace it. God has given you an assignment, and you got to start somewhere. Some of you are longing for what's in front of you, and you're neglecting what God has placed right before you. You see, Shamgar was a farmer. You know what a farmer does? He works hard. A farmer starts before the sun comes up and works long after the sun goes down. A farmer understands, watch this, I feel the Holy Ghost. The farmer understands times and seasons. Some of you are frustrated because you don't understand the season God has you in. Man, there's, a, there's a, a time to plow the ground, a time to plant the seed, a time to cultivate the ground. There's a time for harvest, and there's a time to let the land rest. As a farmer, Shamgar understood work ethic. He understood the times and the seasons. He understood patience. Farmer's got to be patient. Man, he plants the seed underneath the soil. He can't get impatient and go dig up that seed. He's got to let the soil do its work. And, and if you and I don't start where we are, we'll never get to where God wants to take us. Can you be faithful with the field God has planted you in? You see, you, you, you have something in your proximity that God wants to use, but you got to start right where you are. You got to get started. How, how do you write a book? One word, one phrase, one chapter at a time. How do you run a marathon? One step at a time. How do you lose weight? <laughs> one pound at a time. Get started. You know what the cost of procrastination is? The life you could have lived. Are you with me? 
See, procrastination, it may be comfortable and easy, but it's costly because there's a life that God's created you to live and created you to walk in. Uh, Where are you right now? Where are you physically? Where are you emotionally? Where are you spiritually? Start right there. Come on, somebody say start. Do you know Jesus is the name of God in his proactivity? Jesus is God wrapping himself up in flesh and getting involved. I love the initiative of the gospel. Listen, if you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. Some of you, God is saying, don't wait for things to get better. Start right where you are. Shamgar, before he was a hero, before he was a judge or a mighty warrior, he was a farmer who started with right where he was. Now, number two, here's the second thing I want you to write down. Number two, use what you have. Start where you are, but then you've got to use what you have. Let me give you some context. It's very probable that at this time in, in, in Israel's history that the Philistines didn't allow them to have any weapons whatsoever. There was no weapons of war. And, and, you know, the Israelites were agrarian. Agriculture was their means of survival. And so without any weapons being oppressed by the Philistines, the, the Bible tells us in, in later chapters that the Israelites, they had to take their own tools and bring them to the Philistines. It was Philistine blacksmiths that sharpened their plows, that sharpened their shovels, not a tool among them. And yet Shamgar, he's plowing his field. He's working with his cattle. He's cultivating his crops. He's using this ox goat, and Shamgar gets an idea. Wait a second. Wait a second. I got something. Now, it may not be much, but I got something that I can use. Are you with me? Do you know anything about limited resources? Oh, yeah. Sometimes we spend the majority of our thoughts in our limitations, what we don't have. I don't have this. I don't have that opportunity. I don't have that resource. I don't have those relationships. man. I've not been given that kind of chance. And we see how limited we are in our resource. Can I challenge you? Instead of complaining about the things you don't have, why don't you make good use of what you do have? You say, Mike, but it's not much. Listen, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. It doesn't take much for God to use what little you and I have, but don't diminish what he's put in our hands. You've got an ox goat. I don't know what that is. You say, Mike, I'm just a school teacher. What could I possibly do? Oh, wait a second. You have a tremendous platform. You are shaping the hearts and minds of our sons and daughters. That's your ox goat. Use what you have. You say, Mike, well, I, I just, I, I work at a plant. I work shift work. Or, man, I just, I, I own a business. That's all I have. Or I'm a stay-at-home mom. What could I possibly use for the kingdom? Whatever God has put in your hand. He's saying, start where, where you are, but you got to use what you have. And it may not seem like much to you, but if you're faithful, oh, listen to me. If you are faithful with what God has put in your hands, then he'll begin to give you the dreams that are in your heart. Some of you are neglecting what's in your hand. You're chasing the dream of your heart and it's frustrated because you're not being faithful with what he's put right in front of you. I mean, consider Moses. 
Uh, whenever God spoke to Moses, uh, Moses, he said, Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses said, well, it's just a stick. Oh, no, 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 no. Throw that stick down on the ground and see what happens. That thing became a snake. How many know he had Moses' attention? Then he says, Moses, pick up that snake. <laughs> Man, I'd have to make sure that was the voice of God if he's telling me to pick up a snake. <laughs> pick that snake up, and it became a stick again. Now he says, I want you to take that staff, and I want you to go to Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go. Well, to Moses, all it was was a stick. But in his hand, with the touch of God, it became the rod of God. And when the Israelites stood at the Red Sea, guess what? Moses didn't have a civil engineer to build a bridge. Moses didn't have a construction crew to build a boat to get him across to the other side. God said, Moses, what's in your hand? He says, you take that rod and you stretch it out across the Red Sea and watch the waters part. Come on, what's in your hand today? Be faithful with what's in your hand. You remember a shepherd boy named David? He stumbles onto the battlefield and 40 days, there, there their Philistines were again, and some nine-foot giant named Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, blaspheming the name of God. And here comes a little teenage shepherd boy saying, who is he? You gonna let him talk like that to you? And everybody was a coward. Everybody was afraid. Even King Saul. Word gets back to Saul. Hey, there's a, there's a young shepherd boy here. That, man, maybe we can send him out. And so what did Saul do? Saul said, well, if you're going to fight, at least put on this armor. David tried it on, moved around, said, oh, this just doesn't feel right. It's just not me. I, I can't fight Goliath wearing somebody else's armor. I got to go with what I know. What was in his hand? It was a slingshot. And he got five smooth stones. Come on. Everybody thought that Goliath was too big to fight. David knew that Goliath was too big to miss. So with a rock in his pocket and God in his heart, he charged onto the battlefield. Let me ask you this. What's in your hand? <laughs> thought about the widow's two mites, her two pennies. She didn't have stocks, didn't have bonds, didn't have a 401k. She had no financial portfolio whatsoever. But what was in her hand, it caught Jesus' attention. 5,000 people on the hillside, disciples said, Jesus, send them away. He said, nope, you feed them. How are we going to feed them? It would take a year's supply of groceries just to feed this one crowd. Jesus said, go look and see what you got. What's out there? They came back with a boy's sack lunch. Two fish, five loaves of bread. Jesus took it. He blessed it. He broke it. They gave it. And the whole crowd was fed. What's in your hands? Quit despising the little that's in your hands. God wants to anoint it as you're faithful with it. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were headed to the temple. The Bible says a man who was born crippled was begging at the gate beautiful. He looked at those men expecting money. He's begging for alms. Peter looks down and says, I tell you what I don't have. How many know you can't give what you don't have? He says, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. Listen, Peter had something that money couldn't buy. Yeah. 
And the truth is, you got something that this world can't even compare to. Are you with me? My parents, man, I grew up in the, in the, in, in the trailer parks of southeast Missouri. We grew up poor. We didn't know it. They didn't have a lot. Guess what? We didn't need a lot. But I had a mom who knew how to pray. And I had a dad who knew the word of God. And they took what was in their hands. Come on, is anybody catching this today? Listen, there, there's a different chapter in front of you. There's a different narrative that God's wanting to write in the story of your life if you just start where you are and you use what you have. Don't complain about the things you don't have. Man, start putting into use what you do have. Never underestimate what God places in your hands. And I know that in life, and I'll tell you this, even in ministry, it's easy to feel inadequate. It's easy for us to obsess over all that we lack. The first five, six, seven years of ministry, I just felt so overwhelmed and underqualified. I would look at other people and see how they would preach and teach and lead, and I just felt so small. I'd listen to T.D. Jakes, man, bring it, and man, he could preach with power. And I'm thinking, man, well, let me just get up there and do it like he does. I'd try to do my best T.D. Jakes, and Rachel would be like, white boy, sit down. <laughs> Never as powerful as T.D. Jakes. Not as smart as Andy Stanley. Not as compelling as Billy Graham. And sure would never be as happy as Joel Osteen. Even on my happiest day. <laughs> How many love to see Pastor Joel mad just one time? I like to see him in Baton Rouge traffic just one day, man. Just a little... See, there's a danger when you compare yourself to others because you always come back discouraged with what you lack. God says, what's in your hand? Use what you... I had to make a decision that I wouldn't compare myself to anybody else. There's only one Mike Heyman. Only one. Thank God there's only one. I was born an original. I wasn't going to die a copy. I'm not going to insult God by trying to be somebody else. I'm going to get to heaven. He's not going to say, why weren't you more like T.D. Jakes? Why weren't you more like Joel Osteen? Why weren't you more like Andy Stanley? He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And God's going to ask you the same question. Somebody say, start where you are. Say, use what you have. Say, do what you can. Oh, this is so good. How did Shamgar defeat 600 Philistines? How did he do it? How did he do it? Now, think about it. 600 against one. Some of you feel like you got the odds stacked against you. Maybe you feel like they're stacked against you financially, relationally, emotionally. You look at your circumstances and you think, man, I am outnumbered. How did Shamgar defeat 600 Philistines with an ox code? There's only one other verse in the book of Judges that talks about the times of Shamgar, and that's in chapter 5, verse 6. The Bible says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers took to winding paths. You know what that tells me? Because of the oppression of the Philistines, public roads weren't safe to travel on. So the Israelites had to go in roundabout ways to get things done. Probably, it's highly unlikely that Shamgar defeated 600 Philistines at one time. You know what he did? He picked them off one by one. 
I love that. Just little by little. <laughs> Something about holding this ox code. I believe God's wanting to call out the warrior inside of you. You've got battles that are bigger than you, but they're not bigger than God. Start where you are, use what you have, and just do what you can. I, in my mind, I can see Shamgar, just an unassuming farmer, but here comes a Philistine. A Philistine's not going to be threatened by some farmer with a farm tool, and then Shamgar's like, Ka-cha! down he goes. Let's scoot him out to the side. Uh, there's another Philistine. And just they're dropping like fly, almost like a, a good Jason Bourne movie, man. I can just see, man, taking on all of the CIA and every assassin. And man, there's Bourne learning. I mean, with a paper click, it just defeats like, you know, 70 men. You know, I, I, I love this picture because, listen, we can't do everything, but we can do something. Listen, if you do what you can, hear me, do what you can, God will do what you can't. A lot of us are wanting God to do what we can't, but we're not even doing what we can. Listen, God won't do it for you, but he'll do it with you. And this is probably one of the most important aspects of our faith journey. You say, Mike, what can I do? You can pray. I mean, really? Prayer seems like the last resort after you've tried everything else. Well, I guess we'll pray. Wait a second, wait a second. Here's what I've discovered. When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. And there's something that mobilizes supernatural power. You say, Lord, I'm doing all I know to do. I trust you with my child. I trust you with my finances. I trust you to mend this relationship. God, I trust you with this opportunity, with what's in front of me. Lord, I've done all I know to do. Listen, Shamgar, his very name means sword. Shamgar means sword. There wasn't a weapon in all of Israel, yet God used Shamgar as a weapon for the purposes of God. God knows your capacity. He knows your limitation. You've got to do what you can, and then you trust God to do what you can. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.